Romans 12.21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That may seem like an impossible ideal to live up to in this world. But today we're going to read the story of a person who lives out this teaching in the brutal dog-eat-dog environment of this life. The story we'll be looking at from Daniel chapter 6 is one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. It's a very popular Bible story to tell children, but there is nothing childish about this story. It's actually one of the most challenging and grown-up stories in the Bible because it exemplifies faith and courage on a level that is rarely seen. We're going to be looking at the story of Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. Last time in Daniel chapter 5, we read about the fall of the great Babylonian empire to the invading army of the Medes and the Persians. And if you will think back to the statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2, which represented five human empires, and then the replacement of human government with the kingdom of God, which was represented as a rock that strikes the statue in its feet, causing it to crumble, and then that rock grows into this great mountain that fills the earth. You'll hopefully remember that dream that we looked at in Daniel 2. Well, the head of gold represented Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian empire, which would then be replaced by the Medo-Persian empire, represented by the chest of silver, and that has now happened. At the end of Daniel chapter 5, when the Medo-Persian army captures the city of Babylon, Belshazzar is killed, and Darius the Mede takes the throne of the kingdom. Darius is now the king. Uh, so Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says here, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel, the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So to manage this vast territory of the former Babylonian Empire, Darius, he appoints 120 satraps or district governors. Over these district governors, he then appoints three regional administrators. And one of those three regional administrators is Daniel. Daniel is now in his 80s. He's an old man, and you might remember from last time that he was brought out of retirement to explain the meaning of that mysterious writing on the wall for Belshazzar of Babylon. Daniel is now appointed as one of those three administrators who oversees the district governors in this new Medo-Persian empire. What an incredible reputation Daniel has as a leader. Look at what is said about him in the next verse. In verse 3, it says, Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So Daniel is doing such an incredible job and his ability so exceed those of all of the other guys that the new king, Darius, he's planning to put Daniel over everyone else in the kingdom, second only to himself. Verse 4 says, 
at this time, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So when these other satraps and administrators, these regional and district governors, learned that Darius is planning to appoint Daniel as the leader over all of them, second only to himself, they begin to conspire against Daniel to get rid of him. Well, why? Jealousy and prejudice. You might remember in Daniel chapter 3, Daniel's three friends faced a very similar thing, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when a number of the native Babylonians were not happy about these Jews occupying positions of authority over them. They conspired to turn King Nebuchadnezzar against the three and get them thrown into a huge furnace to be burned up. Well, Daniel, being Jewish, coupled with his impeccable character, creates a perfect combination to arouse the jealousy and the hatred of these other men. Don't be surprised if you become the object of people's hate because you're living a life that's pleasing to God and are not going along with the accepted norms of the surrounding culture. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 4 for a moment and let's read what Peter has to say here to us about that. In 4.12 he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Well, the anti-Daniel group, they immediately set to work to find something against Daniel to discredit him before King Darius. But they can find nothing. His record is spotless. There's no skeletons in his closet. It reminds me of these investigations that the political parties bring against each other's candidates when elections draw near. The Democrats, they try to find fault in the Republicans' person, and the Republicans, they try to find fault in the Democrats' person, and they really dig. They bring stuff up from the candidates' deep past, anything they might be able to use to damage the person's reputation, and there's always something that can be 
found, always, because these candidates, they're just people like you and me. Who among us could stand up under the scrutiny that these people are put under? Well, we have Daniel being investigated in a similar way by people who hate him and they're looking for something to discredit him with. They really dig and they can't find anything. There's nothing in his 80-some years of life that they can bring against him. His life stands up to the harshest scrutiny imaginable. What an example Daniel is for us. Lord, help us to live lives of integrity like that. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans or among the unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Well, the Daniel-hating group comes to the conclusion that the only way that they're going to be able to bring any real charges against Daniel will be to create some kind of conflict over Daniel's religious beliefs. Think about that for a moment. The only thing they can do is create a conflict with Daniel's religious beliefs. Now, don't answer this out loud, but if you were in Daniel's position, would your religious beliefs be the only thing your critics could bring against you? Don't answer it out loud, because we all know what the answer is for all of us, right? Verse 6 says, So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So they have come up with a plan. Anyone who prays to any god or human being for the next 30 days other than to the great King Darius himself is to be executed by being thrown into the lion's den to be mauled and eaten. They pitched this idea to Darius, telling him that all of the district governors and regional governors and the people underneath them, and I mean all of us, were in agreement and in full support of this fantastic idea. Well, Darius, he's probably flattered by the idea, and maybe he thinks it will be a, a good way of bringing the ex-Babylonian territory together under his new unified rule. We, we don't really know. But at the urging of these men, Darius, he puts the law in writing and the decree is issued throughout the land. Now, for most people, this law wouldn't create any significant conflicts. The majority of people will go through the motions required to satisfy this odd law for a month and then get back to their normal lives and religious practices. No harm, no foul. The majority of the people are polytheistic, meaning that they believe in many different gods, and adding one more god to the pile is just not a big deal for them. 
This law, though, will present a significant problem for Daniel because he is a strict monotheist. He believes in a single God and he refuses to acknowledge any other gods, real or imagined, other than the one true God, Yahweh. Daniel's haters know this. And that's exactly what this law is, in, is intended and designed to do, to create a conflict with Daniel's religious beliefs. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. So Daniel's reaction to this newly issued law is to go home and pray to the Lord. He prays in his usual spot, in his usual way, in his upstairs room where they open towards Jerusalem. Does Daniel have a death wish or something? This is what this law tells him not to do. You're not supposed to pray to any God or human being other to King Darius for the next month. No. He's simply continuing on in the same way he has always done in his relationship with the Lord. It's been Daniel's practice to pray three times a day to the Lord at this upstairs window. It is a firm conviction of Daniel's heart that for him to alter his devotion to the Lord in any way because of this law would be an unacceptable compromise. Now, this doesn't mean that if you were in a similar situation that you would be expected to behave in exactly the same way Daniel does here. The Lord may expect something different from you. But this is clearly what Daniel is convinced he has to do. Daniel goes to the one place where he has always found help when he faces an insurmountable problem. He goes to the Lord in prayer. In Daniel chapter 1, when he was faced with being forced to eat food that would violate the law of the Lord for him, he went to the Lord in prayer. In chapter 2, when he was faced with having to tell King Nebuchadnezzar what he had dreamed and what it meant. And if he wasn't able to do that, he would be killed. Daniel went to the Lord in prayer. In chapter 3, when Daniel's friends were faced with being thrown into the fiery furnace, they went to the Lord in prayer. In chapter 4, when Daniel was faced with explaining the meaning of another one of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, he went to the Lord in prayer. In chapter 5, when Daniel was faced with explaining the meaning of the writing on the wall for Belshazzar, he went to the Lord in prayer. Daniel has spent his whole life going to the Lord in prayer to find help and guidance and peace in the midst of life's difficulties. Where else is he going to go now? When he's faced with another difficult challenge, he's going to go to the Lord in prayer, the one place he has always found strength. If we want to, want to cultivate a close relationship with the Lord, then we're going to spend time in prayer. If we desire a relationship with the Lord, if the Lord is the one that we truly look to for strength in, in our life, then we're going to pray. We, we don't need 
to be forced to pray, we pray. Our heart is drawn to prayer, isn't it? Daniel doesn't pray to make some kind of statement here either. He, he prays because that is who he is and what his heart draws him to do. When we do religious things as a statement, it usually fails to achieve its intended ends anyway. I'm going to stand on that street corner over there and I'm going to pray to God in a loud voice so people can see just how much I love God and they'll be convicted of their sin of failing to obey God. People usually see that kind of behavior as hypocritical and acting like a show-off. Look what, Matt, what Jesus says about that kind of behavior over in Matthew chapter 5. Or chapter 6, verse 5. It says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Verse 11 of Daniel 6. It says, Then these men went as a group, and they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. I think it's interesting to note that Daniel's accusers, they know he will continue to pray to the Lord. And they know right where and when to go to catch him praying. It points out this consistent life of devotion to the Lord that Daniel has lived. And people know it, not because he's been showing off about it. It's just that the guy goes down the same track. Every day of his life, people see it. They take note of that. They know of his devotion to the Lord. Because that's simply who he is. Verse 12 says, So they went to the king, and they spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den. The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and, make every, and made every effort until sundown to save him. So the trap is sprung. And Darius, he now realizes that he has been tricked and trapped himself too. See, Daniel's the last person in the kingdom that he wants to put in a position like this. He likes Daniel. He has great respect for Daniel. He has plans to promote Daniel to the highest place of leadership beneath himself. It says he's greatly distressed, not because Daniel is breaking this law, but because he's been trapped 
into punishing Daniel for breaking this law. He spends the day trying to find some kind of loophole in the law, some way of rescuing Daniel from this fate. In verse 15, Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the long-standing law of the Medes and the Persians was that no law put in writing by the king could be repealed by anyone, including the king himself. And they used this against the king. So the king, he gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. When he says that, may your God, whom you can serve continually, rescue you, Darius is being completely sincere when he says that. He really does hope that Daniel's God will rescue him. Unfortunately, there is nothing Darius can do at this point. It's out of his control. Not even he can overturn this law. The Daniel haters have played their hand perfectly. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. Darius is so distraught over what will happen to Daniel that he can't sleep. And instead, he appears to actually spend the night fasting and praying himself. In 19, at the first sight of light, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Darius is afraid that all he's going to hear is the contented purring of well-fed lions. But he yells into the lion's den, hoping Daniel might still be alive. And in 21, Daniel answers, May the king live forever! My God sent his angel and he Shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. To Darius's astonishment and great relief, Daniel answers back. He's alive and he's unharmed. And Daniel, he gives credit for his survival to the Lord. Uh, here's a painting, famous painting, by Britton Riviere, <clears throat> called Daniel's Answer to the King, painted in 1892, depicting this story. And this, there are many paintings of this story, but this one, I think, captures the story pretty accurately. It, it shows Daniel as an old man in an attitude of prayer and humility, looking to the Lord for help. Some paintings of this story, they show Daniel as a young powerful man seemingly commanding the lions, and that is complete fiction. That is not the way this story took place at all. Daniel's an old man, and he's looking to the Lord for his help. 
verse 23. It says, The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Verse 23 makes it very clear about why Daniel survived the lion's den. It says because he had, a, had trusted in the Lord. It was not because Daniel was a skilled lion tamer or a very fast runner, or had found uh, a place to hide in the den where the lions couldn't get to him, or because the lions weren't hungry. Clearly they were hungry because they went ahead and had a meal with the other people. He was unharmed because the Lord protected him. Now this punishment that the king orders against uh, those who had accused Daniel it is a very harsh punishment by the standards of our day, but this was customary for that time period. And in 25, it says, Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. So we have another open letter similar to the one that Nebuchadnezzar had written to the world. We have an unbelieving king becoming a believer in Daniel's God again. And he writes this open letter so that everyone in the world knows about it. And he writes, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. The miracle of Daniel's survival certainly played a significant part in Darius's attitude toward the God of Daniel. But there's something else that has played an important part in this too, which really laid the groundwork for the miracle to have its impact in his life. And it is the consistent godly life of Daniel himself. And this is true for us too. Living a life that is true to the faith that we profess, it makes a powerful impression on people. And likewise, living a life that is inconsistent with the faith that we profess, it also makes an impression on people. We have to be all in about our life in Christ if we want our faith in Christ to really mean something to those who are watching us. Amen. Now that doesn't mean that we have to live a perfect life because none of us can and none of us do. And it doesn't mean that if and when we do stumble, all is lost with people. People are not looking for perfect followers of Jesus. They're looking for real followers of Jesus, those who are really connected to Jesus and are seeking to please Him with their life. And we can all do that who are followers of Jesus. This chapter ends at verse 28. It says, So Daniel prospered 
during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. In closing, this is how Daniel overcame those against him. Romans 12, 17 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I can't think of anyone else who has exemplified this passage of Scripture more than Daniel has. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Again, who exemplifies this passage of Scripture more than Daniel does? Let's follow Daniel's example in our own life. When facing people who are against us, who want to harm us, let's live a life of good character and put our trust in the Lord to take care of us. I want to end with a reminder of who the real God is, the one that we can trust in, rely on, and take comfort in. The words of Darius at the end of Daniel 6, when he says, For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions, and he will rescue you from the power of the lions in your life too. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of Daniel, the story of Daniel. Lord, we, we thank you for having someone like Daniel that we can see what it's like to be a person who walks with you faithfully, who trusts in you, and one that you rescue. Lord, we ask that you would help us to trust you in that same kind of way, to walk with you, to put faith in you, Lord, and to look to you as our great rescuer. I ask you would bless your people this morning. You would encourage each one. Remind them, Lord, that you are sovereign and over all. That we can trust you, Lord. None can thwart or overthrow your rule. And we are your children. In Jesus' name, amen.